following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. I did not, I did not have to be recorded for this. Okay, guys, we're going to get started. I was expecting a little bigger crowd tonight, and all of a sudden, about two to three hours ago, my phone started ringing, and my email started blowing up about they didn't they forgot about all this football game tonight with the Manning against Indianapolis or Denver against Indianapolis. So okay, we lost that one, but that's all right. I want to welcome everybody to our second of the year Havara. I want to introduce one person in case you don't most of you don't know most of you know who he is, but Sandy Herskovitz is the president of Bethy Shuren. And I want to introduce Sandy for coming out to see us. And the Camorns came in from Houston as well, so welcome. I know it was a trek for you. Yeah, it was a trek, but it was okay. Um, as far as announcements go, the one announcement I want to make is this important is November 1st, Friday Night Alive starts again. So I know there's a big group that go together for Friday Night Alive to Bethy Shuren, so Friday, it's going to be the same, and it's going to be different. Okay? So you're going to come, and you're going to enjoy. Alright? Okay, so for tonight's topic, I asked Rabbi Yossi Grossman, who many of you already know, but Rabbi Yossi Grossman is one of the founding members of Torch. Also, he has started the Houston Jewish Ethics Institute. And he teaches Jewish ethics to doctors, lawyers, business people. He has tremendous classes. I go, as, whenever I can, I go to his business classes, and they are terrific. Uh, the business classes are every other Monday in Greenway Plaza, and we hit some really pretty fun topics, and we have a wonderful kosher lunch that we get to have as well. So I'm going to ask Rabbi Grossman to come up, and we uh, talked about topics, and Rabbi Grossman said, what if we talk about Obamacare? And I thought, oh, what a great topic. So with all that's been going on, with all the politics today, let's see what uh, Rabbi Grossman, Torah, and Talmud, and everything else has to say about Obamacare. So Rabbi Yossi Grossman, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. If you forgot to mention that we founded the Sugarland Chavara 15 years ago in Steve's house, 2001. He's never invited me back since. That was 15 years ago. Anyway, first of all, someone just asked me an ethical question. What blessing do you make when you're speaking from the cross? So we'll, uh, I don't know the answer. <laughs> So first of all, I just want to make a disclaimer, we're being taped here, because this is going to be online, so uh, no four-letter words, uh, no nasty comments at the rabbi, please. Okay, so um, I just want to make it clear, I'm not, um, not taking any position on the matter. We're just going to have a discussion here for educational purposes about um, the Jewish perspective, basically the Torah perspective, um, from Jewish sources that deal with this issue of universal health care and Medicare and Medicaid and um, just touch on it. So as far as the actual, uh, if you want to know practically, please speak to your local rabbis. Um, I'm not local, I'm from Houston. Okay, so, uh, so there's, a, there's a number of issues which also I, well, I just want to make another disclaimer. I won't address, uh, we're not going to talk about is universal health care, is it, it going to affect the health care of the country or not? Is universal health care more economically 
efficient, right? Would universal health care cost more or less to the average taxpayer? These are all questions which we're not going to talk about. Okay, is your line, you're going to have to wait longer than at the DMV when you go to the doctor. We're not going to discuss that. We are just going to discuss, um, as you see here, everyone should have one of these. Everyone have one? Or share one with someone you like? Um, we're we're going to, we want to address what is the legal, the Jewish legal perspective from the, from Jewish sources as we're going to see on healthcare in general um, and as it relates um, to treating, taking care of one's own health, as it relates to a physician, what his obligations are and um, as far as the society and what is, what would be the, again, the Torah's view um, seemingly on, on this topic of universal health care. Is, is it a moral or legal obligation if there is an obligation at all? Okay, and I'm, I'm happy to take uh, questions. You can um, jump in right in the middle and ask whatever you'd like. Um, so the, the first thing to know before we start any um, ethics class and anything, any, anytime you're dealing with a, a ethical question, ethical dilemma, a moral question in Judaism, there's, you need to know there's a fundamental difference between um, the way Judaism views, um, let's say, rights, the question of is, which is the question really people are debating now in this country, which is, is a health care a legal right? Is it a constitutional right? As a citizen of the United States, is it a right? So it's a fascinating thing. In Judaism, there is no concept of rights. That's something that's important to understand off the bat. Nowhere, actually, in the Hebrew language, whether it's in, could be in modern Hebrew, there is a word for rights. Even in modern Hebrew, there's no really great word for the word rights. Um, but in, in, in the Holy Tongue, in Hebrew, um, what's known as Lashon Kodesh, the Holy Tongue, there is no word for rights. Rights doesn't exist. Um, if you look throughout the Torah, we, as we know, we have 630, 613 obligations, not rights. None of that is a right. Now, you might say it's just a question of semantics. Obviously, if the Torah says, let's say, uh, um, the, you have an obligation to um, respect your neighbor's privacy, okay? but it's not his right. He does not have a right to privacy. You have an obligation as a Jew to make sure you're not looking into your neighbor's backyard, um, building a window that overlooks his backyard, whatever the case is, or going into his uh, medical records. Okay, so that's your obligation. It's not his right. The concept, like we're saying, the concept of rights is, is, doesn't exist within Judaism. So that's the first thing off the bat. So as far as the question which everyone talks about, which is, do we have a, as a citizen, um, do we have a right to health care? That's surely, um, that language is the wrong language to use. Um, like we're saying, Judaism is about duties, not about rights. It's about obligations. That's number one. So there is a clear obligation, which is a fascinating obligation, in the Torah itself. The Torah says that there's an obligation to rescue. Um, that means if you see someone who you can save their life, you're passing by, let's say you see a car accident on the side of the road, you're driving, you see someone drowning in the bayou, whatever the case is. So according to the Torah, you're obligated, if assuming you know how to swim, to jump in there and save the person. Uh, if you're eating in a restaurant, someone starts choking. According to the Torah, it's a biblical obligation. If you know the Heimlich maneuver, you've got to do it. Right? You can't just, uh, you know, wave goodbye, you know, wave to the guy and move on. It's, it's, as a matter of fact, in American law, it's fascinating. You have no obligation to rescue. So if you're driving on the highway, you see, or you see a car accident, late to your meeting, right, you can just wave and smile and drive in right on. Um, even if, you're, if you work, I mean, assuming you're off duty, even if you're a physician, right, you're on a plane, or you're in a restaurant, 
and someone uh, has, goes into cardiac arrest, whatever the case is, they say, there's, is there a doctor on board? You can, you know, it's like that movie scene. This guy's just looking at his paper, making believe he didn't hear. He didn't hear anything, right? Because he doesn't have his mail practice insurance, you know, and he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to treat the patient, not in his office, and he's not going to get paid. So the point is, so that's wrong. According to, according to the Torah, you're obligated to stop and save the person if you're, if you're able to. The source of that is, there's two sources from the Torah itself. We're not talking about rabbinical laws. This is biblical obligations. They're part of this, one of the 613 mitzvot. Number one is, there's a verse in Leviticus, in um, Parshat Kedoshim, which states, you shall not stand idly by while your bro brother's blood is being shed. See, there's a typo there. Um, okay, so that verse clearly obligates one to, if you have the ability to save someone's life, you have to save that person's life. It's not even a question. Okay, again, if you have the ability. Um, so again, like we're saying, if you, um, you can do the Heimlich maneuver, you can do mouth-to-mouth uh, -mouth resuscitation, whatever it is, if you are able to do that, then you, you're obligated to do that. Another source from the Torah is from Deuteronomy. It's in, it's in a different context. Over there, the context is talking about returning a lost object. The Talmud says, just as you're obligated to, uh, to return a lost object, and if you find, according to the Torah, if you find someone's wallet, you have to return it. Again, it's a biblical obligation. So the Torah says, surely, if you can return someone's health to them, you have to return it to them. Okay, they're, 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 uh, if you have to return their, their physical objects, surely if you can return their physical well-being to them, you're obligated to return it to them. Okay, so that's source number two from the Torah, where we have an obligation, if we're able to, to help someone else um, be healthy, be, save their life, so to speak, which is very different than Western law, where there's no obligation whatsoever. Okay, so that's number one off the bat. Um, that's a very important um, issue. Um, obviously, in this context, to understand. Now, the question is, what happens when it comes to money? So it's very nice. Yes, if I'm driving down the highway and I see someone's car on fire, um, that's, that's not actually not a good example, by the way, because it's important to know, even though you're obligated to rescue someone, you don't have to risk your own life to rescue someone else. Okay, so if there's any risk to your life, as a matter of fact, they discuss if in, in the rescue, for example, let's say, uh, let's say you don't know how to swim, okay, someone's drowning and you don't know how to swim, jumping in there would actually not be such a smart thing. That would be somewhat foolish because you're risking your own life to save someone else. So that, the, the, there's many responses that discuss that, that you're not obligated to risk your own life to save someone else's life. Um, as a matter of fact, it says if you do do it, if you put your own life at risk, the Talmud says you're what's called a chasid shoteh, pious fool. You're a fool. You know, you don't risk your life to save someone else's life. We don't do that. It's interesting because, in, again, in American, um, in Western culture, you're a hero. If you risk your life to save someone else's life, you're a hero. Again, you're not obligated to, but if you do it, you're a hero. Right? Uh, so if someone takes the bullet for the president, they're a hero. In, in Judaism, you call a pious fool. That's why you, you don't find any Jewish secret servicemen. Besides that they're five foot four, usually they're not going to hire them. But, but you know, you don't find Jewish secret servicemen because you don't risk your life to save someone else's life. Of course, in times of war, it could be the president, that's something else, it might be an act of war. That's different, obviously, because in war, of course, you're, you're risking your life. But normally, we never give up our life for anything, and even any of the commandments in the Torah, any of the 613, any of the 610 commandments, you're not obligated to risk your life for. So, so too, for this one, um, for, the, for the obligation of saving someone else's life, you're not obligated to risk your life. So let's say someone has a, a uh, 
some type of disease which you can catch if you're going to do mouth-to-mouth for them and it's, it's a fatal disease you're not obligated to save their life but to rescue them in that situation okay so that's clear off the bat any questions on that yes so that's a good question like your mother-in-law let's <laughs> Okay, okay. So the wife, we'll leave the mother-in-law out of it for a second. The wife actually is considered, it's like you, it's like saving yourself. You're one family unit. A husband and wife in Jewish law is viewed as one unit and therefore it's as your, sort of, so to speak, it's your own flesh and blood. Therefore your wife, you're allowed to save. But you have one parachute and you're jumping down, let's say, let's say you're skydiving with your mother-in-law and there's one parachute, only your parachute opens and hers doesn't and she grabs onto your legs and pulling you down, you can kick her off. <laughs> and you can tell her I said it. So children also, as long as it's literally one family unit, I believe children is, you can risk your life. But that's, that's more questionable actually. Wife, everyone agrees, but children is questionable. Mother-in-law, everyone agrees, you can kick her off. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> your wife's not smiling. Um, so, so, this, so again, so this, this is as far as the obligation to rescue. There's no question. If you have the ability to save someone's life, you've got to do it, according to the Torah. The question is, what happens? Who pays for that? What happens if I do rescue someone and there's cost involved? Right, let's say, uh, you know, I got my shirt bloody. I, I went, um, or I got my shirt dirty. Does he have to pay for my dry cleaning? Or whatever the case is. And I, I, we're saying you're obligated to rescue, but the question is, who foots the bill? Is it the patient? Okay, is it the person you rescued or the rescuer or the rescuee? Do I have to lay out money to rescue someone according to Jewish law? So the Talmud discusses this. It's quote number three here. It says, how do we know if one sees his neighbor drowning or being attacked by a wild animal or being robbed that one must save his neighbor? And it quotes the verse we just quoted. This is in the Talmud in Sanhedrin, 73a. It says from the verse, um, you shall not stand idly by while your brother's blood is being shed. And even if he needs to hire someone, says the Talmud, even if it's going to cost you money, you're still obligated to do the rescue. Just because you're going to have to lay out money to rescue the person does not exempt you from saving the person, okay, from, from being obligated to rescue the person. But, and this is a big caveat, if you look at the next quote right under that, the Rush, who was a commentary, an early authority on the Talmud, says if the victim has the means to pay, he needs to reimburse the rescuer for the, course, for the cost of the rescue mission. Okay, so even though you're obligated to lay out money, but if the person is of means, has the money to pay you back, to, to, to pay the cost of the rescue, then they're obligated to pay. If they don't have it, that doesn't exempt you, but once, if they do have the money, they have to pay. And this is what is actually quoted um, in, in the Code of Jewish Law, seems to imply this also. Okay, that, that one would have to pay, the, the, the recipient of the rescue would have to pay for the cost of the rescue. So that's an important caveat. Okay? So that's number one. So it seemingly would be, seem to be on the side that, um, that as, as Jews, we're obligated to help uh, save other people's lives, and therefore, we even have to lay out money to help save other people's lives. But it's, it's not so clear. So I want to get into more of the, put it all into context, as we'll see, and then we'll, we'll get down to the question. So the, there's, in general, um, first of all, there's the first step really is the Torah also speaks very clearly that we're obligated to, to make sure that we stay healthy as individuals, to take care of our own health. That's number one. 
Uh, the Torah says very clearly in, in the Exodus, I don't have it here on the sheet, that it says, Rapoli Rape. The Torah says, it's talking about in the case of assault and battery, um, where the Torah says very clearly that uh, if one assaults, someone is obligated to pay for his healing. And there's many other sources in the Torah where we see that as Jews, we don't believe as other religions might do, Seventh-day Adventist or other religions um, that say that one is, shouldn't be healed, right? Yeah, some people will tell you they have faith in God. They're not going to go to the doctor because they have faith. God will take care of them. Okay, but Judaism, of course, doesn't believe in that, thank God, because every Jewish family has at least two Jewish doctors, right? Um, so, so Judaism does not believe that. Judaism says, of course, that we must, you must be healed. You can't say, I have faith in God. That doesn't work in Judaism. That's number one, and there's many verses throughout the Torah which says one must take care of their health, that you're obligated to take care of your health. Um, one can't um, say, you know, I'll leave, it, I'll leave it up to God. Even preventive me- medicine uh, many times, exercising, this is all part of, of being healthy, it's part of serving God. That's, the, that's quoted in many Jewish sources. Okay, now what about the physician? Just as there's an obligation to heal oneself on the patient's part, there's also obligation on, on the physician to heal. As we mentioned before, this verse in Exodus, which says, Rapo yirape. And that's where I put down here number four. The Torah explicitly gives a physician the right to heal. Okay, um, now technically speaking, just a physician is no different than anyone else. He just happens to have more knowledge. We said before, we quoted the verse, which seems to say very implicitly, um, that, that one is obligated to save someone's life, if they can. So therefore, a physician obviously has more knowledge because he went to at least four years of medical school and then two years of residency and whatever else, right? So he obviously knows how to heal a lot better. So now, because of he has more knowledge, he's going to be in more situations where he's able to heal. Okay, but technically his obligation is not more than anyone else. It's just, obviously, again, since he has more knowledge, he's going to be able to heal more situations. So therefore, it says a physician has a Jewish legal obligation to provide care if he's capable of doing so. Now, it also says a physician has a right to compensation. Um, and the question is, how much compensation? That's, there's a lot of discussion in the Talmud about that in Jewish law. Um, as to, because technically speaking, it's a fascinating thing, a, a, you're really not allowed to charge for any mitzvah, by the way. Don't tell your rabbi I told you this, but a rabbi is not allowed to take money for performing a mitzvah. Anyone's not allowed to take money. Meaning, if I teach you Torah, I can't charge you for teaching you Torah. It's actually a verse that says, the Torah says, Torah tziva lanu Moshe. It's a verse in Deuteronomy that says, God um, taught the Torah to Moses. Um, as a heritage to the Jewish people. And God told Moses, just as I gave the Torah for free, he didn't charge him. So too, it says when Moses taught the Torah to the Jews, he wasn't allowed to make money. He can't make money off any mitzvah, not just teaching Torah. So technically a rabbi shouldn't get any salary. I know the president's here, I don't want to start up, but rabbi shouldn't get any salary. You use that next time in your negotiations. The only thing they're allowed to be paid for is, um, is actually for their idle time, because they could be doing another profession. Could have been a truck driver. Okay, they could have been a greeter at Walmart. And now they're a rabbi, so you have to pay them at least for their compensation for their idle time, so to speak. Okay, so the um, same thing, by the way, for a chazan, balkore, the one who reads the Torah. They're not allowed to take money for any mitzvah. Okay, so now what's interesting is a physician healing someone, we just said, is a mitzvah. If you save someone's life, that's also a mitzvah if you heal them. So if they, they don't make it, if your patient doesn't make it, then you didn't fulfill the mitzvah. But technically, healing is a mitzvah too. So there's a lot of discussion. Maybe a physician can't charge at all. Okay, technically, he shouldn't be able to charge. He's doing a mitzvah. Um, but, the, but the Talmud says, no, he can charge again. He's, only, he's allowed to charge for his idle time. The time for his time. He can't charge you for his actually active healing, but he can charge you for his time. 
Um, and the question is obviously how much and, and um, how what's considered the uh, fee of physician? How do you how do you uh, figure that out? Okay. Um, now more than more than that, if you see here in quote number five, it says if it, but it says um, a physician who heals for free, the Talmud says, is worth nothing. Okay, because you don't want to go to a free physician. Right? Obviously, when you get something for free, you know you get you get what you pay for, as they say. Right? So if you're going to go to a physician who's not charging, um, you're going to get what you pay for. And your care, obviously, is not going to be that great. Um, that's, why, that's why we don't go to Canada for medical care. You don't see any Americans going to Canada for places because people, places that have socialized medicine, usually the care is not, is not as good as, as places where it's free enterprise. Right? So the point is, so the Talmud said this uh, 2,000 years ago, the Talmud wrote this, that a free physician, one who heals for free, is worth nothing. Okay. Um, what's interesting is, but you have this dichotomy because if you look at another quote, it's a fascinating quote in another place in the Talmud, which says it says the best of physicians are destined to help. Okay, has anyone ever heard of this quote? Ever heard of it? No. Okay. Any other physicians? Yeah, I don't want to insult anyone. No? Okay. Okay. But it says the best of physicians. Are you the best? It's only if you're the best. Okay, so it says the best of physicians, all, all Jewish physicians think they're the best. At least their mothers think they're the best. So, the, so it says the best of physicians are destined to help. So what does that mean? There's a lot of, that's all the Mishnah says um, in the Talmud and Kedushan. And Rashi there, one of the, as we know, the foremost commentators on the Talmud and the Torah says, one of, he gives five reasons why the best of physicians are going to help. I'm not going to get into all the reasons, but one of them he says is because a physician does not treat the indigent and, is, and because they don't want to treat poor people. They obviously only want to treat people who are going to pay, and that's why they're going to help. Seemingly, there's, you would seem to see at least there's a moral obligation for a physician to treat for free, um, or at least for not getting paid in certain circumstances. So you have seemingly have this dichotomy, but on the other hand, in a different place, the Talmud says, one who treats for free is worthless. Okay, so how does this work? So that's the question here. Must a physician treat even if a patient cannot pay? So, um, so the issue is like this. Really, as we're going to see, the, technically speaking, just like any mitzvah, um, and it boils down to this question. I mean, we're saying this before we mentioned there's an obligation to rescue, to save someone's life. If you're able to save someone's life, you should, you should have to save their life. The question is, is that a, a moral or legal obligation? Okay, are we saying morally it's a beautiful thing to do? It's a mitzvah, but it's not obligatory. If it's a legal obligation, that means it's obligatory. So how do we view it? And this seems to be the question. It seems to be somewhat of different opinions within these statements of the Talmud and the early authorities. Is it a moral obligation to rescue, to treat the patient, or is it a legal obligation? Obviously, the difference is going to be if it's just a moral obligation, you can't force someone to do it. You can't tell a physician he must treat this patient who can't afford to pay. It's a nice thing. He'll get uh, brownie points and he's going to heaven if he does do it. But it's not, a, uh, it's not considered, you can't force them. You can't uh, legislate that they have to treat patients for, for no pay. If, on the other end, it's a legal obligation, if you say that this obligation to rescue is a legal obligation, so then obviously you can even legislate, you can make laws saying that one would have to um, treat if you treat even for free. Okay, and that seems to be, so the, the, according to most opinions, it would seem that it actually is a legal obligation. Okay, that this, what we mentioned here, these verses of do not stand idly by, again, if you can save someone's life, 
you legally would have to treat them. Um, and therefore, yes? But you could say it's legally moral. Yes, well, you, what legally means you legislate it. We don't, most societies don't legislate something just because it's moral. Um, you, if you're legislating it because this, in order for society to survive, you have to have this. We don't, if we would legislate morality, then there would be a lot more uh, laws on the book. Usually we don't, it's interesting, in Judaism we do. Many things in Judaism, we do, many times we do legislate morality. But even, let's say, taking charity, it's a moral thing to give charity. But we don't force you to give charity. Right? Um, we, don't, we don't put a gun to you and say you have to give charity. Okay, so you can't, it, uh, usually you can't force a moral concept something that's moral. If it's legal, if it's a legal obligation, obviously, then you can enforce it. What about ethics? Well, ethics is morality. It's the same. It's one and the same. Usually, so, so yeah, ethics and morality, I, I view it as the same. Some things, in, in the Torah at least, if something is moral, then it's ethical. It's one and the same. Maybe in, in, in American society, you have, many times you can separate the two. Um, you'll have something that's, that's, let's say, immoral, but it's not illegal. Okay? That you can have it. Or you can have something that's, that's moral, but it's not obligatory. Or might not be legal, even if it is moral. But in Judaism, usually they're connected. Here we're saying, but what is it? Like charity, is charity a moral obligation or legal? Charity, everyone agrees. can't force someone to give charity. You can make a tax in the society. That's really the question here. So if this, again, if healthcare, the obligation to treat someone is a moral obligation, you wouldn't be able to force someone to do it. If it's a legal obligation, then you can. And you could. Is that, that clear? So, um, so again, the question is, can you, can, must a physician treat someone if they can't afford to pay? So it says, um, this is a response written by a, a rabbi in Israel, died around uh, 15, 20 years ago, where he discusses this question. It was, uh, there, in this particular case, the question was involved with schools um, where they, and again, in Israel, medicine is subsidized, socialized medicine in Israel, um, in the country, of, in the state of Israel. And the question posed to this rabbi was, what does, does the, can this, does the school have to provide, I think it was a question of eye exams in this case for the children in the school. Should, is it something that the government, the, the local municipality should provide or not? So he says there that the physician may be compelled to treat without charge. In a case where someone can't afford treatment, he says you can even force the physician to treat without charge. However, and this is a big caveat, he says, when there's more than one physician available, each one can claim that he's under no personal obligation to treat that patient. So the point is like this, and it's a fascinating concept. That means if in the olden days there would be one physician in the city, you lived in a town, uh, not so long ago, or some places maybe still in West Texas, where you live in a small town, there's no hospital, there's one f town physician, okay, and he's the only one around. Now if he doesn't treat this patient who can't afford health care, that patient could very well die. Okay, so in that case, what according to Jewish laws, what he seems to be saying is you can force that physician to, um, to treat in that situation, okay? Um, but in a case where, uh, where, you, where there's many physicians in town, so with each, you can't, each physician can say, listen, I'm not the only one around. Let's say you have Houston or Sugar Land where you have many physicians, especially if you live in the Jewish community, right? Um, you go to synagogue, there's 50% uh, of the population is usually physicians. The other 50% are attorneys, right? Suing the physicians. So, uh, so the, the, right, the issue is um, each physician, you can come, technically, you can say, listen, this guy needs care. You can force him to treat. But he can say, listen, I'm not the only physician around. 
There's another guy down in the next aisle asked him to treat. Okay, since he therefore, each person um, technically has an obligation to treat, but it's, it's a societal obligation, meaning if there's other physicians around who can also treat, so then it's not the obligation, it's not just on him. And therefore, he says, um, each can claim there's no personal obligation. But as a society, he seems to be saying, we do have an obligation to take care of the poor. And therefore, he says at the end, if you turn to the back here, um, his community should make funds available or divide the burden upon all practicing physicians in an equitable fashion. Okay, so there is a concept in Jewish law, what he seems to be saying is, that we need to take care of the people who can't afford to take care of themselves. But again, you can't force it on one particular individual. It's, it can be, um, he says you can, so to speak, get together a group of doctors, as you, put a, you make a rotation, whatever it is, where each one, let's say, has a day that they spend in a hospital, which it used to be like that, not so long ago, if you ask physicians, um, 20, even 30, 20, 30 years ago, physicians would dedicate their time to volunteer, you know, one day a week in a city hospital, yes? So if you have a pharmaceutical company mm -hmm. So that's a good question. Actually, there's two things. There actually is a famous case called the Heinz Dilemma, where there was a guy in England, I believe it's a real case that actually happened, where a guy named, it was Professor Heinz, who came up with the dilemma, dilemma. I don't know if it actually happened, but uh, it was a case where someone's wife was sick um, with cancer, and he couldn't afford the medicine. And he broke into the pharmacy to steal the medicine for his wife. They arrested him. The question was, should they charge him or not? So that's known as the Heinz Dilemma, which is a very interesting question itself. Can you steal to, to save someone's life? Um, but, that, but the question of pharmaceuticals is, and that's a, a whole different subject technically, but they did a lot of R&D, a lot of research. They put millions of dollars in researching and uh, developing that particular medicine. So, so they have a right to be compensated, even maybe a lot of fees to a certain extent. Um, you can't say they have an obligation to save someone's life, because if they start giving away medicine for free, obviously, you know, then they, well, they're not going to make back their money. No one's going to, the problem is, and the Jewish law does talk about this, they're not going to go ahead and do the research for future if they can't make a lot of money. It's not going to put in, it takes 10 years to discover a cure for whatever it is. That's 10 years of research. So they're not going to do that research unless they can recoup their money. Now, in a particular case, and most pharmaceutical companies do have programs where they do give out to many people, uh, they give out their medicine. Just so recently, there was a case last week on CNN of a particular drug that's still in the research stage, um, which this particular patient uh, child needs it, but they won't give it out because it's, it's in the research stage. And this child's going to die without it, so there's a big debate going on now. But, but that's a different question. Um, over there, it's a question is, is it safe to give it in an early stage? But at most pharmaceutical companies I've found have, they, they will give it away for free when necessary. Are they obligated? I don't think you can obligate them to do that. Um, but someone can steal it, maybe, <laughs> if you're a Jewish law. As a matter of fact, there's another law. I just want to mention another, okay, another law. The, the Code of Jewish Law discusses that um, you, if you can, I think I have it, I have it on, this, on this handout here, but let's say um, you can, let's say a physician says, uh, I'll heal you for this and this price. So you can say, promise them that I'm going to pay you. And then um, afterwards, and then get the healing, and then say, I'm, I was just joking. 
because again, you have to save to save your own life. Technically, you might be allowed to steal. So there are. That's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of discussion about that too. Yes. Two questions. The first one concerns the uh, first statement about the you shall not say that we buy what your brother has, you but your sister. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a general language, yeah. But it, it, is that the same as the law of pursuit? And the reason I'm asking that is because uh, the justification for doing abortion is the law of pursuit with the infant is the danger of the mother's wife. It's like a foreign invader. So right. that so, so that's a good question. No, so that's a different law. He's, the doctor's mentioning this. There's a different law in the Torah known as the law of pursuit, which means that if someone is chasing someone to kill him, you're allowed to take, you're, even as a bystander, if you're the person, of course, in self-defense, that's the Torah it says very clearly, just as the state of Texas does, um, that you're allowed to shoot someone in self-defense. That's for sure. But even if it's not self-defense, even if law of pursuit is if someone's chasing someone else with a gun and is, um, is going to kill them, you have a right to kill that the pursuer. Okay, that's known as the law of pursuit. Not going to get into Zimmerman and that whole question and Trayvon Martin, not tonight at least. Um, but but in, but this is different. The law of pursuit is saying if someone is forfeiting their own life because they're going to kill someone, you have a right to kill that person. Here we're saying no. Even if there's no danger, no one's chasing anyone. You're just again, you're you see someone drowning in the swimming pool, someone in the restaurant choking. You have an obligation to help that person. Nothing to do with the law of pursuit. It's a separate law. But it's a good question. question is, is, uh, uh, I've known about the, uh, 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 the uh, statement that physicians are allowed to charge for the services. Is there any statement or government that uh, gives guidelines on how the physician determines what to charge? Is there any so it's complicated. Or who could, who could establish what the physician should charge? Right, so again, I, I, yeah. I question, because the biggest reason that doctors get upset was Determining the fees. So it's a it's a very good question. Um, so there, it's, there's a lot of gray area there in determining in how to determine fees because, like we said, technically he can't charge exorbitant fees. Now, what's called exorbitant? That's questionable. But what's interesting is that. Um, yeah. I did see a, I did see a response. Yes, yeah, so I did that. So that's the question. I don't know the answer to that. The I did see a, a response from Moshe Feinstein, who was a he was a lachikas who died um, around 20 years ago. He has a response from about this question, and he says that a physician has a right to recoup all their costs to cost them. Medical school costs a lot of money, uh, you know, and, and residency. Whatever expenses they put in, they surely have a right to to include that just spending four years, and their knowledge also costs money, so he discusses that. doesn't put a number on it, obviously, but but, uh, but I, I feel for you. Well, the reason I'm asking that is because uh, there's nothing in the tour that tells the businessman how much to charge, but the tour that tells, the, that tells anybody else what to charge, uh, and they could set their Right, fee, so the difference is... They could set their fee as much as their cost, the, the yes. the fixed and variable expenses, plus uh, uh, so a doctor also can set his fees based on that. The question is if you're charging above and beyond that. So the difference between a businessman is a very good point. Why, why should a doctor's fees be different than anyone, any other business's fees? Why do other businesses we don't? First of all, we do cap. By the way, the Torah does cap even businessmen's fees to a certain extent. The Torah says you can't charge. It's a prohibition of the Torah to charge more than one-sixth of the going rate. That's what the Torah says. 
Um, that means if everyone is selling this item, item, you know, this iPod for X, you can't make more than one sixth of what everyone else is, is profiting, unless it's a different service. Okay, so there's a cap for everyone, but the difference between a regular business um, and doctors is, like we mentioned before, doctors are performing a mitzvah. So you can't charge for a mitzvah. Okay, that's the difference. So that's the question. Again, you can charge for the value, but you can't charge for your service, quote unquote. Okay? You, you said before that if you get your shirt buddy, you could. Right, yeah, that's a cost. That's a cost. Yeah. Oh, 100%. You can show, yeah. You need to cover your mail practice, your machinery, all your technology. Yeah, 100%. Lab work. Then you have a right to make some. Yes, you have to make a living, yeah. Yeah, no, we're not. Don't worry. I'm not taking away your, your living. Okay, it ain't what it used to be, but. I know you're not, so we can take it away. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, so, uh, so again, he says this, this response says very clearly a community should make funds available to divide the burden upon all practicing physicians in an equitable fashion. Again, what is that? How does that work? And how you define that? That's questionable. So I, and I just want to, it's very clear in quote number eight here, and then we'll, we'll go back to address the question. Quote number eight, it's very clear in the Shulchan Aruch, which is the Code of Jewish Law, written by Joseph Cairo around 650 years ago. Very clearly, in the laws of charity, um, as in anyone, when you, if you give charity, there's a priority list. And how do you know, and as we know today, all too well, everyone's asking us for money. Um, everyone is coming and soliciting. Everything. There's many good causes out there. You have the synagogue, you have um, you know, Red Cross, and, uh, and there's so many causes out there. So how do you know, how do you prioritize in your giving? So the Code of Jewish Law, we can talk about it a different time, actually has a list of priorities um, of who you have to give charity to, who you should give charity to. Um, and amongst that list, um, of course, we'll see about the synagogue soon, but, but amongst the list, if you look at number eight here, it starts off the number one priority in your charitable giving is any life-threatening situation, to save someone's life. If you can save someone's life, that's the first thing you got to give to. Um, now, it doesn't mean, by the way, this is a side point, it doesn't mean, you know, someone in Rwanda, or, you know, it's the Darfur, or whatever it is. Actually, it says the poor, the indigent of your city come before the indigent of anywhere else. That's a whole different topic, but you have to give to the people of your city first. Um, it says number two in the, prior, the list of priorities is support of Torah study. Education, Jewish education, of course, is, is a very important thing. And number three on the list, and it's a long list of like 20 things, number three is medical needs of the poor. Okay, number three on the list of priority is medical needs of the poor. That means if you have charity to give away, there are people who can't afford health insurance or can't afford medical care. That's number three on the, in the hierarchy of Jewish giving um, in the, on the list. Okay, number four is the maintenance and building of a synagogue. So that's your shul dues are number four. Again, I don't want to start up with the president, but that's what I'm just, I'm just quoting what it says. Okay. So this, so, uh, and then number five is all other needs of the poor. So you see there, first of all, number, f number one in priority in the list of charity is, is any life-threatening situation. And number three is all medical needs of the poor. So it's very clearly legislated in Jewish law that people who can't afford health insurance, we, might, we have to help them. Okay? Now, um, just getting back to the question, because we're running out of time, and someone wanted to discuss some other topics, uh, maybe. So just getting back to the, the issue here, which is it's very clear that in Jewish, from Jewish tradition, from these many sources, that you have obligated 
to help someone with their health care, whether as a society or as an individual. Obviously, if, um, it, in some cases, and as he says, it's a societal issue. Um, that's the question, that's the debate today in our country. If you look at number nine, it says government, and this is again a, the same response from that rabbi, it says government should have the health concerns of its citizens as a primary focus and should tax citizens to provide food and health care. Charitable organizations should do the same. Okay, so the, clearly this is a Jewish obligation, but the key point there is, um, is that the obligation is to help people who can't afford it. It's not, um, and, I, and I don't want to start up, and you know this is a very emotional topic, but Medicare, where people, let's say we're paying for older people's um, health care, and they can't afford it, people who are of means, and they can't pay their own insurance, just we're paying for their health care, that there's no obligation to do. It might be a nice thing, but the Torah obligation that we're discussing here, the mitzvah that we're saying, the legal obligation, is only people who can't afford their health care. If someone can't afford their health care, we're saying it is a Jewish value and maybe even obligatory as a society to help them. But if someone is not indigent, if someone retired and they have a nice 401k and they could pay their own health care, clearly we're not obligated to help them. Um, it might be a nice thing. Um, we're not saying you shouldn't help them, but it's not, it's not obligatory. Okay, and that's, that's what I think it's clear that he's saying here. And, and again, the gray area, as we mentioned, is there's no discussion on specific money amounts that must be set aside to accomplish this. When you're dealing with a budget issue of how much should the government allocate for health care, um, obviously that's, that's, we can't put, a, Judaism is not going to put an exact number on it. That's something that every society has to figure out for, their, for themselves. Obviously, again, there's, it's fascinating. Even though healthcare, we're saying, is number one, that doesn't mean we should spend all our money in healthcare and not have any parks and not have any culture. No sympathy. Let's close symphony. Let's close down the, the you know, all the parks. We don't say that, obviously, in any society. So there has to be a way of prioritizing. Even though it's prioritizing in how we allocate our funds, um, how obviously it doesn't mean we give all our funds to the priorities. We're still going to have. We have to have other things going on in the country. So, so there is gray area, but again, just to conclude, and I will take questions. Um, the conclusion here on the bottom is there's no obligation to provide every citizen with equal universal health care. So again, we said, first of all, there, in Judaism, the concept of a right doesn't exist. So you don't have a right to health care. You have an obligation to take care of your own health, and you have an obligation to take care, if you're able to rescue someone else, to, to rescue them, to take care of their health. But again, if they have the funds, they have to compensate you for taking care of them. Okay, there's no prohibition to provide every citizen with equal universal health care. The government wants to be nice and say we're going to provide everyone with health care. That's a beautiful thing, but again, it's not obligatory. Um, there's no obligation, and there's no prohibition. There is an obligation to provide indigent citizens with health care. If someone can't afford health care, then we should provide them as a society. Um, fee for service, private insurance programs are all okay. Jewish law looks favorably at health care reform that is economically feasible, just, and fair. That's really the Jewish view. Again, like I said, I'm not taking any positions. Um, uh, actually, I'm not allowed to, by the way. The law is as clergy. As a member of the clergy, you're not allowed to take have any political position. So I won't, will not take any political position. I could lose my 513 st status if I do do that. So I don't want to do that. So any questions? Yes. Explain what you mean. What's the difference? Because you said you're not the conclusion. There's a difference 
everybody gets basic. So what do you mean by equal universal health care? Yeah, I mean equal, I mean that everyone, meaning whether you're rich or poor, the government will provide health care for you. That's what I mean by equal. It doesn't make a difference basic or non-basic. Uh, again, the obligation, the original obligation is a valid point because the original obligation to help is just to save someone's life. The Torah says, still shall not stand idly by when your brother's blood is being shed. doesn't mean that I have to uh, give them a flu, a flu shot. Okay, or maybe it depends on the person, but doesn't mean I have to give them, uh, you know, uh, right, uh, whatever the case is. Um, it means you have to help save their life. Okay, so that's number one. So that the obligation is only to save a life. Um, as far as there's no difference, what we're saying is for poor people, if we can, if we can help them, um, it means, again, it would mean, uh, I don't know what the correct term is, but not basic health care. It would mean more something more serious if there's need. Which, by the way, the law is now, even before um, the Affordable Care Act, you can go into any emergency room and get treated, technically. Um, so, so, in that sense. What? That's if you have two years to wait. Uh, no, they have to legally. If you walk into any emergency room, they have to take you if it's an emergency situation. Uh, I know people have done it. So they legally have to take you. I don't know what in actuality, maybe some hospitals might not do it. Yeah, it's an emergency. Yes. Yes. I think what she's asking yes. is that the uh, shot is probably okay, but the facelift is not. Oh, well, that's, that's not health care. That's a whole different question, which is. No, no, facelift is not called health care. That's. Uh, and, 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 and I think that there is some basic things that everybody probably should be entitled to or have help getting, but I think there's other things that uh, the government should not pay Right, but I'm not even talking, we're not talking about, uh, yeah, so, no, so even what I'm saying is even a flu shot, I'm not, it depends, obviously, for elderly people or ill people that the flu shot is important, but for your average healthy person, most, many docs will say you don't have to take the flu shot, and most people in the United States don't get a flu shot, right, people, I mean, people do it, but you don't, there's no, you don't have to get a flu shot, no one, a healthy person doesn't die from the flu, right, so I'm saying, so what my point is that it's not saving lives. The obligation to rescue that we discussed from the Torah is saving a life. I'm not sure a flu shot would go into that. It would constitute saving a life. Again, for an elderly person, maybe yes. Okay, yeah, that's why we're here. Two Jews, five opinions. So, so it's a good question. The, the issue is, there's two questions here. One is the concept of taxing a society, of, of forgetting about healthcare. In general, we, the government does have a right in Jewish law to tax society, whatever they're going to do, even, even to the people in society that don't need that service, whatever the service may be, leaving healthcare aside for a second. That is a Jewish concept. The king has a right. They're going to build a road just because you don't have a car. They have a right to tax you for that road. Or the army, let's say you live in a... You live. Uh, you know. You don't need the navy because you don't live near a coast, right? You still. The government has a right to tax you for whatever it wants, technically speaking. As far as um, forcing someone to have health insurance, so that's a different question. It's interesting in Jewish law, if someone doesn't want to, the concept of autonomy to a certain extent doesn't exist. 
um, right, in, in Western ethics, uh, the key, probably one of the most basic uh, concepts in, in medical ethics is autonomy. The patient has the right to choose. I have cancer and I don't want to get treated, it's my, it's my prerogative. Right, in Jewish law, that's not true. Technically speaking, if someone, doesn't, if someone is dying and they don't want to get treated, we can force them to be treated because you have an obligation, we're saying biblical obligation, just like an obligation to rescue someone else, you have an obligation to, to save yourself. So therefore, technically, I mean, we don't do this, obviously, but we can tie you down and use cattle prods um, to, uh, to, to, for, to make you uh, be treated, so to speak. So the question is, again, when you're forcing someone to buy insurance, someone who's healthy, in that case, I don't know if that's, an ob that's obligatory. I don't know if you can do that, unless you make the argument, listen, if they don't have health insurance, if they don't have catastrophic health insurance, and they get into a situation where they're going to need it, they're going to die. So that would be the only argument where you can force someone to buy health insurance. But if you want to tax society, if that's one way of looking at it, then you have a government has a right to tax society. Okay, so again, I don't know if that would be considered a tax, forcing someone to buy health how about equity? In the sense, tax everyone equally. Yeah, so that's, okay. that works, yes. So, what was the question? His question is, can you tax everyone equally? And the answer is yes. So, what yes. means of exemptions are not permitted? No, there could be exemptions, but you do have a right to tax society equally. The government has a right to tax. That's why I asked the question. Is it permissible to say, hey, all you redheads, you don't have to pay? Because I like. It has to be some rational, it has to be a just system. Assuming it's a just system. Which is, that's debatable. Is the IRS a just organization? That's a different question. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying no, but if it makes sense, it's rational, you can have exemptions. That's what I was saying. Yeah. So it's interesting. So society, it's it's more or less social. There's socialized medicine in Israel, but what's amazing about the Israeli system? It first of all works. Why it works is they actually have a three-tier system in Israel, where um, there's nothing to do with Jewish law. It just happens to be like that. A lot of the original um, Israelis, when the state was founded, were socialists. And but it's a three-tier system, so you can either choose not to pay or pay minimal amount um, for your health care. You you buy into a system. You have a choice of three tiers in the system. So if you pay more, then you have, if you, like someone said before, if you pay the least, then you have to wait four months for surgery or five months, like, like in England or other socialized countries in medicine where they have socialized medicine. But if you pay more, so there's a middle, mid level, and then there's a top tier level where you pay the most. Um, it's like the gold card, uh, gold standard of, of socialized medicine. Then you get. Uh, and you get treated quicker and better treatment. And there's also private health care. There's also, you can go to a private physician in Israel too. So you have many physicians who won't take the government insurance. So the system works because you choose, you can choose what level of health care you want and you can pay for it. But everyone is entitled to almost, almost free. I mean, it's a minimal, you pay maybe a few hundred dollars a year the low, on the lowest tier. So you do have to pay something, but very low. But the tax level yeah, tax is like 27 percent. 60, 65 percent. Yeah, it's like, right. Yes. Prior to this, is this priority? Supporting tourists, is greater than medical needs in the pool? Yes, I like that. That's good. Yes. That is a concern because the tourist. 
Um, you can't have, have you ever, uh, have you sent your kids to Jewish institutions, Jewish day schools lately? Cost a hell of a lot of money. Yes, for as an adult. Oh, 100%. But I'm saying if you look at go look around the country, Jewish day schools, one of the prime reasons people don't send their kids to Jewish day schools is because tuition is so high. I mean, your average tuition is over $20,000 per child, which is, that's cheap. Well, there's a lot so, That's true. That is true. But, but you're paying for, for the Torah study. Is, I mean, it's not only the Torah study. But the point is, it, it does cost money. Jewish education costs money, unfortunately, but it does. I never. Uh, you get what you pay for, as it says here. If you get, if you have, if you're going to send your kids to a free uh, Torah study, uh, free day school, you're not going to get much for your value. I can tell you. Yeah, but, but look, unfortunately, look at uh, my, my wife teaches a religious school. The kids call it Jew jail, and and none of them come out very uh, excited about their Judaism, as we see. So. You can disagree. I'm, I'm, again, it's not my opinion. Nothing I said tonight was my opinion. I'm stating what this is written by Joseph Cairo 650 years ago. The point is, without Jewish education, there's no continu continuity of Judaism. So therefore, that obviously is going to be a priority. Clearly. Yes. The support of does that Who's they? The, the government? When you say they. Right, well now, first of all, it's gone down. I mean, they cut all, they almost cut all the subsidies for that, but technically, yes, that, that's what this would be saying, that that takes, in a certain sense, studying Torah, again, because that's the continuity of the Jewish nation, takes priority over many other aspects of charity. It doesn't mean everyone should be studying, by the way. It doesn't mean that the whole... You yeah, know, that's what the definition yeah, It means the select few, whoever it is. Yes, obviously that, that can't work. It doesn't mean it. But there's a select few and, and children. We're talking about Jewish day schools, which is educating children with Torah study. That's, that's very important. That's priority. Even above health care. Yes. Yeah, I didn't use it in the context of the United States. I said in Israel. Israel has Okay. The improvement of the health of civilized countries has nothing to do with air virus, has nothing to do with radiation therapy, has nothing to do with pollution, has to do with public health, has to do with clean water, clean food, clean uh, air and sewer system, uh, avoidance of changes, vaccinations. That, you know, and nobody objects to those things. You know, the government pays for those things. The government will be paid for the FDA and, uh, and uh, agriculture department. Right. I didn't. 
First of all, I agree with you 100%. Everything you just said, I agree with you 100%. I didn't. I said in Israel they have socialized, but they call it socialized men. In Israel, that's what it's called. Okay, the country is, that's what they call it. No, I'm not, I didn't use it in the context of America. We should discuss things at a different level. Because once you do all those words, you cover the argument so much you can't think. Alright, I am trying to be as. <laughs> I'm not taking sides here. Staying away. Any last questions? Someone said they had a different question about the cattle prods. Do we want to go there? About the cattle prods. Oh. <laughs> oh, we had it time. Something I want to bring up the article in New York about the. It'll take uh, maybe yeah, maybe different session. That's a whole other topic. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much for inviting me. You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethics Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom. Thank you.